Welcome to this special presentation of Bait and Switch Podcast Sports, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Bait and Switch Podcast. Any other use of this podcast or descriptions or accounts of this broadcast without the consent of the Bait and Switch Podcast is strictly prohibited. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch Podcast. My name is Jim Martin, along with my co-host, as always, Chris Beyer. Hello, Jim. And also our esteemed panel of cycling experts. Today is our annual preview of the Tour de France. Sixth annual, we figured out. Sorry, sixth annual, yeah. right? Okay. So uh, so with us today, we have Mitch Tyke on Zoom. This is also a Bait and Switch Podcast first. There's four of us in studio, one of us on Zoom. Mitch is on Zoom. Welcome, Mitch. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks, and wish I could be there in the studio with you. So do we. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, we have uh, my co-host Chris is here. His son Will is here. Hi, Will. Thanks Hello. for being here. Mm-hmm. It's a pleasure. All right. And of course, Tom Schuler, our true expert, is here with us. Thanks again, Tom, for being here. We appreciate it. Really happy to be back with you guys. Yes, we are too. We're happy to have you. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to our four experts. I'm going to shut my mouth because I just make... Uh, you know, snide comments about things I don't really know what I'm talking about. So I'll let you guys take it from here. Yeah. Well, uh, f- uh, first, uh, Tom truly is the expert. Uh, he is the, uh, uh, the founder of the what of Toad. What is it? Uh, yeah. One of the co-founders of the tour of America's Dairyland, which is completed our 14th year. Yeah. Which is Sunday. the United States largest. Uh, race yeah, of its the, kind as far as the number of entries we get 11 days long mm-hmm. uh, many many cities in southeast wisconsin and we just finished last sunday after 11 exhilarating days and tiring days i want you to know <laughs> i'm i'm pretty pretty toasted at this point and keep a look on the uh the podcast uh our podcast in the weeks to come because after the tour We've just recently talked, Tom, into staying a little longer to talk about the toad and the state of uh, cycling in the United States. So we'll talk about that here after the podcast. You'll hear in about a month. So uh, let's get right down to things here regarding the tour, which is going to be starting here on Saturday. It's billed as a two-man race. You've got last year's winner. The guy's name looks like Vinegard, but his name is Vinigo. That must be some Danish pronunciation thing. He is on what they call the Jumbo Visma team. And then uh, the year before him, the winner is at Tade Pagachar. A few years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He won it two years prior to that. Uh, and, you know, uh, he won it two years prior to Vinigos. And so it's, it's a grudge match between the last two victors of the Tour de France. The third, fourth place riders, you know, that are expected to be in third and fourth are expected to be way down from these two guys. It is expected to be a battle of those two. Tom, is that what you see? These two guys? Does anybody else stand a chance? Yeah, it, from the way I see it and the the other contenders, and there are some, it's really a two-man race. And you, when you look at their team line, the, the lineup of their team, their support riders, it's really, a, in my opinion, a two-team race. So right. there could be injuries, uh, there could be sickness, that those kind of things that knock one of those, or both occasionally, those, and, and those of course, guys out. And of course, COVID, right? COVID. And I, I just don't know where it is in Europe right now, but, um, so many things can happen in the tour on mm-hmm. bad form. We don't know where Pogachar is because right. we haven't seen him race. He did race the national championships over the weekend. Right. Chris, you told me he won both the time trial and the road race. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> almost expected, but, um, you know, um, and then some of those other contenders could sneak if they're on amazing form like Skelmoose. 
some of those that right. have been on good form could 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 challenge to a degree. Right. Pogachar, the national championships he speak of, as he just spoke of, were of his home country, Slovenia. And it's a small country, but it's been a powerhouse here of late in terms of producing world-class cyclists. And so it still was a feat to win both those races after a two or like a two month layoff in one of the bigger uh, races in spring, he had a crash, broke a bone or two, and then he was out for a while and he's just coming back. So just because of that, I think the betting odds are going towards his uh, contender uh, Vinigo because he's fresher and hasn't had these injuries. And so I think the betting money is slightly in Vinigo's favor. Uh, So we'll see what happens in regards to that. Um, uh, Will. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Tom talked about the strength of the two teams, Jumbo Visma, uh, UAE. I will uh, grab Will the start list here so he can look at those two teams. Uh, Do you agree with Tom uh, that this is about these two teams? And if so, Minus their leader, which team is stronger in your eyes? You know, first, I would just want to comment on the billing of a two-person race. It's interesting how uh, a lot of these um, Grand Tours recently have been billed like this, even the Giro with uh, Remco and also Roglic and, right. you know, Vueltas and Tour de France before. Um, looking at the start lists, um, UAE and Yumbo usually are incredibly strong teams and you know looking at the start list it's no different on Yumbo you have people like Kelderman like Van Aert like Laporte who are like Coos who are either good workers or stage hunters or GC GC threats in their own right and on UAE you see people um Solaire Yates make a Groschartner they've had you know their own GC stints on their own teams but previously and using that experience they could really um help Gachar uh, push to win the race. I think looking at it, uh, Jumbo Visma probably has the better team. It's, it's really hard to beat them. Honestly, they, they have the best team in pretty much every grand tour for the past two years or so. It looks amazing. So. Yeah. Tom, uh, sometimes there's this talk of dual leadership in a team, not so much that there are riders on their teams respectively that are they're equal, but maybe a guy that's a little bit below them, keep him high up in the GC just in case something happens, get them ahead in a break, and maybe somebody can win kind of by accident, you know, because they have such a strong team. One rider uh, that I've heard mentioned in that regard, Adam Yates, having a good year. He's on UAE. Do you see a, do you see a good reason to keep multiple riders high in GC, or are you better off just putting all your eggs in one basket? Well, I think it's a a fair question depending on who those two riders are. You know what? I want to pause this for a second. Mitch is not in the room, and so yeah, I forgot sorry. about him. We'll get back to you in just a second, Mitch. All right. Sorry about that. All right. Okay. Finish up. Sorry. sorry I was just in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. So um, th- depending on who the two riders are, the Yates brothers, unfortunately, have have kind of shown that, you know, they they a three-week tour, they they falter. So would that be a good bet? for your backup maybe not but Ineos for instance often goes in with a two-prong attack they've got right uh, Egan Bernal who they're supporting oh, really I didn't um, see that yep. yeah but I mean he he wouldn't be on a, a five-star favorite by any means because he's too suspect but going in the Giro they had two uh you didn't know whether it was Thomas or um the guy that won um oh Gegenhart Gegenhart so Gegen- they had yeah. dual leadership either one of in my opinion either one of those two could have 
done the job if the other faltered. Right. In the case of Yates, no. So in my opinion, so the um, really it's and remember, Yumbo had two leaders right uh, two years ago equals right Roglic and and, uh, and, and Vingo. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mitch, uh, I'll just I'll throw it to you here. Which is the better uh, bet for you, Vinegar or Vinigo or uh, Bogachar? Uh, it's uh, you know you can barely put a piece of paper between the two of them. I mean, you know, I think it's it's probably going to come down to uh, one of the mountain stages and which of them has a stronger finish in them. It, it really could be either of them. Uh, if you asked me to choose, I think uh, I would agree that uh, Pogacar is a bit of an unknown because you know, he's essentially been training in his kitchen for a couple of months, uh, not being able to put weight on that wrist up until just recently i i hesitate to steer people to another source when they could be listening to us but there was a great article about uh tade pagachar in the washington post that's worth a read about his uh his training regimen um getting ready for this tour so i would i would have to say that uh vingago is maybe less of an unknown at this point but Really, it could go either way, and you know, injuries or illness could could mix things up. Um, I wish that uh, Egan Bernal hadn't had such a traumatic injury uh, and and you know such chronic back trouble, um, because I think if we had gotten to this point, if uh, if Bernal had kept on his trajectory, we could have had a really intriguing three person race. Um, now I think the only way that uh, Bernal is able to do this is if you know something catastrophic were to happen to both Vingago and uh, Pogacar. Well, like I just said uh, earlier. The Giro, the race that happened just a, a, a month or two ago, the leader uh, was booted because of a COVID positive, right? So this thing that we're talking about, this two-man race thing, it could be somebody entirely different, not necessarily because it's decided on the roads, but it's decided either through a crash or through illness. And so there is a chance that neither one of them will win. So uh let's move on to that. Uh okay, so let's say covid happens, uh, mechanicals happen, people break wrists. That third spot spot might be the guy that ends up winning. I'll look at the uh the current odds. I'll give you a couple names here. Um we'll talk with Will here. Uh Hindley, Jai Hindley, uh former winner of the Giro, uh Enrique Mas, uh former runner up at the Vuelta, and then uh this year's kind of a new rider uh, his name is Skiermos. I'm trying to come up with his first name. Anybody? Matthias. Matthias. Matthias Skiermos, another Danish rider. The Danes are really putting out a lot of riders here. Because lately. of the big mountains in, yeah, uh, yeah. in Denmark. <laughs> For such a small country. <laughs> All right. So, Will, uh, between those three, Hindley, Moss, Skiermos, uh, who do you see is more on that third step? You know, uh, Skiermos won the... Uh, Tour de Suisse, I yep. believe, right? Just recently, which is a warm-up race for the Tour de France. And um, still, to me, he's a bit of an unknown. Um, you know, a newer rider, uh, younger rider on the scene. Uh, you know, they they have pretty good track records as of late with, uh, you know, Pogacar, Vingard, Bernal. But... And he's on uh, the track team, which is locally based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, for me, he's a bit of an unknown. So, I wouldn't look to him. Uh, Moss and Hindley... Uh, they're they're both you know fairly young in their own right. They're you know they still got experience under their belt with uh, Hindley having won a, a Grand Tour and Moss um, you know getting second in a few Grand Tours I believe. So 
looking from those two, I might go with uh Hindley on this one, I think. Okay. He has a stronger team, in my opinion. And Hindley, I think, has shown better form of late. Moss, not so much. Uh, Moss had a really strong stretch, I think, last mm-hmm. year, where he was the only guy able to stay with uh, with Pagachar in the uh, tour, of, tour of Lombardy. And oh. uh, he wasn't in the, the, the Welta, but in the Tour of Lombardy, that last race last year, he's the only guy to stick with him. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom, what do you think? Uh, who's your third step on the on the tour here? Yeah, so I like um, Henley, but I like Skelmos. Um, well, I'll butcher his name one way or the Skelmos. other. Skelmos. <laughs> I'm going Skel, Skel, Skel. Matthias. Um, for a couple of reasons, um, there's no pressure on his team to carry any weight. He's not going to have the leader's jersey. He's going to follow his countryman, Vindigo, and he can just lay in the shadows, and hopefully his buildup form that he had, and he was very steady, in the tour of Switzerland. I watched all those stages. He lost the, he had the Jersey. He lost the Jersey on a, a solo flyer. He got it back at the, I think the very last day, but he rode a very classic conservative GC race. Right. So I know his team, they're all in for that. They'll let, you know, one guy go for the stages and that's, uh, uh, Mac, not Magnus court, but their sprinter. They've got a new uh, world champion. They've got a new sponsor. They got a new sponsor at Trek. It is a supermarket chain. It's L-I-D-L. Lidl. Which is, which is Lidl. Lidl, or we would say Little. So now the track is called Little Trek. Uh, so not uh, Segafredo or? Segafredo uh, uh, is maybe a third sponsor okay, or something like that. Them. But they it's going to be called Little Trek. Money. So that means they can buy some more riders on the market for next year. But So the, he's got the momentum right now, so I like him. And again, we said there's a big gap between the top two and right. who's next. So I look to a guy like that that's got the form and – the team is rallying behind him right now because mm-hmm. they saw what he did, came from nowhere. They finally have a real GC leader because Ch- Ciccone just hasn't quite, you know, again, he he hasn't quite produced in the high yep. mountains. You know? Or, or again, this year he had COVID. He was looking good. He had for, COVID. He was yeah, looking absolutely. good for the Giro. He was one of our favorites for yeah. the Giro. Yeah. Um, or, or, or to be in the, on the podium, maybe. Uh, Mitch, I was listening to another uh, tour prep uh, podcast here, and they were talking about FDJ. And they said that uh, a lot of these teams have this idea of building a team around a GC rider and uh, and not having other aims and other goals like sprints, like sprinters. Does a team like FDJ, which is not going to be heavily relied upon, you know, to, to be at the front of the peloton, do they really need an entire team to prepare for a GC challenge for a guy that's going to get third or fourth or fifth why not have other goals just in case that goes south? Why not bring Damar? I understand Gadu kind of has a lot of weight in that team and pretty much said, I want everybody and I don't want Damar. Do you think that's a mistake? Well, I think in the case of FDJ, there's there's always a lot uh, riding on a French team with a French contender. There's been so much pressure on uh, on all the France based teams uh, to put somebody at least onto the podium. Um and I, I can't remember exactly the number of years, but it has been a significant number of years uh, since what 1985 since yeah, uh, 85. since there was a French. Uh, uh, he know. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, uh, I, I, I think that really kind of explains FDJ. I also, I, I have not seen the Tour de France documentary on Netflix, but I gather there's uh, a lot of attention paid to, uh, to FDJ, partly because it's a, uh, a French produced, uh, series. Um, and David Gaudu is a promising writer, but yeah, I mean, Putting all their eggs into that basket seems like at least, you know, if they brought DeMar, they would have a chance for a couple of stage wins on the sprint stages. Um, you know, Gaudu might be good for a breakaway if he falls enough out of the GC race uh, to get some freedom in one of the mountain stages. But um, I, I, I think the the overlooked story that I'm pointing to that might actually happen this year, I think this is the year or the first year in what something like. 14 or 15 years that Kofidis gets a stage win. Um, but, uh, but you know, I've, I've been wrong about a lot before. <laughs> Longtime sponsor uh, yeah. of cycling. Kofidis has been around. In fact, they signed Lance Armstrong uh, before he got cancer and they dumped him when they learned he got cancer. Uh, so he still has got a, a grudge against them, including about 12 other riders and five other teams. He's got a grudge against, but um <laughs> So let's talk about some other French riders here with Will. Uh, we got some French riders that were the young French hope, and now they're getting long in the tooth. You got Bardet on DSM, Pinot, who uh, none of us picked in the Giro for our fantasy teams and ended up doing quite well. I think he got fifth or sixth or something. And there's a little bit of talk of Pinot on retiring. He was going to retire at the end of this year, and now there's a little bit of talk of him maybe not retiring, maybe because of his good Giro that he had. Um, Gadou, Bardet, Pinot, anybody else? Will, which is going to be the highest French finisher? Um, two more people I might want to mention from, you know, smaller teams that are French. Uh, Guillaume Martin, G-Mart. G-Mart. And, uh, Warren Barguil. <laughs> yep. Those are French riders. Um, although I probably, I don't think I'd be choosing either of those to be the highest placed French rider. Um, although they do probably have their entire team behind them. Uh, as of, Bardet, Pinot, those are, you know, the little older, uh, older hopes for, uh, French GC win here. Uh, Bardet, I mean, both of them have been really close and, uh, you know, there's the whole talk about Pinot, uh, retiring. Um, Gaudu's on his team. I don't know if attention is going to be split between them. And obviously Pinot just did the Giro, so he might be a little tired, might be, uh, you know, actually going for the stage hunt. Right. And so at that point, I'd say, um, I think Gaudu is probably going to be the number one French pick as for GC. Yeah, Gaudu was fourth last year. Last year's results were Vinigo, Jumbo Visma, Pogacar, UAE, Garen Thomas for Ineos, and Pogacar, got, I mean, Gaudu got fourth for FTJ. Uh, so let's go back to, uh, let's go back to Tom, who's in the business of cycling and was in the Giro, was in professional uh, cycling leagues back in 85, back when last time a Frenchman won this thing. Uh, what is the value, do you think, of a good stage win versus coming in 7th, 8th, ninth? Which is more valuable to sponsors and which is more impressive? You get 8th in the Tour or you win a stage. Which which is better from uh, a sponsor standpoint, from a career standpoint? So the the riders that are going to be in the top 10 – they are their team's GC leaders, right? Right. So they are right now today focused on uh, the GC, and there's about 20 of them, right? you know? And 
the top 10 will be 10 of those 20. And then the 11th through 20th are, are kind of fall their way into the 11th through 20. That mean, leaves about 120 guys. <laughs> 100 guys are going for stages. Right. Right. So on your career, probably a stage win is something bigger than eighth. I mean, right. eighth is, is, um, but to yourself, to, and your team, eighth place, you're in the top 10, yep. or you put your team car up closer to the front of the caravan, which is nice. Right. Cause the team cars are based on, there's 22 teams. If your first rider is the 22nd team, per, uh, you know, team placement, mm-hmm. you, you're, car is 22 back right so first or second so it it makes a difference you know in those important stages if Uh, you have a mechanical if you got a problem you got to wait for all those cars to pass you and so like you said the team car placement is one of those little things that uh casual cycling fans might not know about we don't think about it but they they never they want to have their team car up close because when when pogachar has a problem and his his team cars for whatever reasons back in 15th you know Mm -hmm. it, it could mean a difference in winning the race. But anyway, to your point, I think um winning a stage is a big deal. Um eighth, ninth place maybe doesn't get remembered. It's always something you can hang your head on. Like right. you if you get the yellow jersey for a day. So if you win an early stage, you might take get the yellow jersey for a day or right. two or three. And that's a big, big deal for the rest of your life. Uh Mitch. Mitch is raising his hand. Yeah, Mitch. <laughs> uh, I, I just wanted to point our attention to a couple of other uh, French riders that we neglected to mention. Uh, hard to talk about the Tour de France without mentioning Julian Alaphilippe, who yep. uh, led the tour for uh, a fair number of days. He was in the yellow jersey, what, three years ago, four years ago? I, I, don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know that anybody expects him to win, uh, but he could place relatively highly uh, by the end and certainly, uh, uh, come out of it with uh, a couple of stage wins. And also uh, his teammate on uh, Sudal Quickstep, Remy Cavagna, is an underrated rider who uh, places really highly in time trials, I know. So uh, we shouldn't overlook either of those two. Uh, Mitch, uh, how about this thought? There are 22 teams, each eight riders, 176 total riders in the tour, which is actually down from your previous years, which I'm actually happy about. It used to be nine riders per team. Now there's eight. So it's down from about 200 to 176 leagues, whether they be football or baseball or basketball. It's very much star driven, right? And cycling was with Lance Armstrong as well. Do you think that cycling, professional cycling could benefit from reducing the Peloton, take out two or three of these low budget teams, have fewer teams, have fewer riders, Therefore, the the laurels are spread out among fewer riders. You create more stars as opposed to having just a rider here and there. I like it when I know riders in the break. Half the time, you barely know these guys, right? Because they're just the cannon fodder. Would cycling benefit from fewer riders in the peloton and giving more star power to the ones that remain? It's a a great uh, and intriguing question. You know, I think... What keeps cycling from being as mainstream a sport in this country as it is in Europe uh, is in part that star power issue. And the idea that it's hard for Americans to wrap their head around it, I, I guess I, you know, can't. I mean, clearly here we are talking about this, but I think it's it's hard for the average sports fan to wrap their head around a number of guys on every team who aren't in it to 
win the race themselves. You know, the domestiques who are really there to sacrifice themselves for the team leader and drop off and, and sometimes, uh, you know, get eliminated by, uh, by the time regulations. Um, it's hard for people to wrap their heads around, uh, their, their, their head, uh, around, um, that concept, I think. And so what you end up with is teams that have a single star. And I, you know, I don't know that it's the, I don't know that it's the minor teams that dilute the field. I think it's that, um, the 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 stars in the sport, the Tade Pogachars and the Jonas Vingagos and the Primos Rogliches are so and Watt Van Art for that matter are so head and shoulders above the other riders at the moment that I, I, I think everybody else is gonna their their star is gonna be dim in comparison. And so I you know, I guess I just don't know that eliminating a couple of teams, you know, the the Alpacin de Cunix or um the uh the Uno X Pro cycling team, the the Norwegian team, I don't know that that's gonna make a huge difference to the to how much Americans um are gonna follow pro cycling. Well, let's uh, speaking of stars, one of the biggest stars in the sport is getting ready to retire, Mark Cavendish. Let's go on to the sprints. Uh, Mark Cavendish, he's had 34 stage wins, I believe, in the Tour de France to this point, which equals the record of uh, the Michael Jordan of cycling, which is Eddie <laughs> Merckx, who was a Belgian back in the 60s and 70s. And Cavendish is a different type of rider. He's a sprinter. All his, his wins have come from sprints. So it's a little unfair to compare these two, but it would be a big deal for him to break that record to get that 35th win. Will, mm-hmm. is Cavendish going to win that 35th stage this year? And he's going to retire. So if it doesn't happen this year, it's not going to happen. How old is he? Tom? 30, like 38, eight, 84 years old, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 87, 38. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, I thought he was about 90 or so. Yeah, but, he's been uh, around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I'd, like there's a lot of stiff competition at this tour, obviously, you know, with the tour being a big race, a lot of sprinters, not only GC riders come here for their fix on stage wins. And looking at the start list, you have people like uh, Christoph, like uh, Philipson, like Jakobsen, like uh, Ewan, Gronewagen, um, Germay, um, you know, really stiff competition for Cavendish at this tour. And um. I don't know if he necessarily has the team support behind him. Obviously, he's on um, Astana, Kazakhstan team for this year. And uh, it seems more focused around uh, like stage wins in mountains or like uh, breakaways um, than it is towards helping Cavendish get that win. And so if you want a short answer, I think no. But if we do see uh, something happen like the Giro where, you know, a uh, unique sprinter won every single sprint race, you know, is something is possible there. Tom, uh, I said that uh, Cavendish is a different rider than Eddie Merckx, and you're an old school rider yourself, having ridden professionally back in the 80s. Do you want Cav to get this record? And it is, is it cheapened in a way that he got him just from sprinting as opposed to, you know, being a GC guy as, as Merckx was? Well, they're already tied, right? So he's already tied Merckx. So it's, you can't compare, you know, a, a classic fan's not going to compare Cavendish's overall Palermes to, uh, to Merck's, right? 
it's a great story if he he does it, especially after the struggles he's been through the last few years. He won a stage at the Giro this year, and you saw not only his emotion, oh yeah, yeah, but the whole peloton was happy for yeah. him. Cavendish is a very popular rider amongst his peers, mm-hmm. and you can't always say that about sprinters. Sprinters typically make a lot of enemies. Right, they have the ego. They have the ego, and they, you know, their their teammates, they're friends with their teammates, but everyone else, right? You know, it's, <laughs> it's hard to be friends with when your your elbows out battle battling but cavendish is very well liked so i'm i'm kind of split down the middle i you know i revere mercs mm-hmm. and i like him to have the record but cavendish has already tied him and it would be a great storyline if you want i like will i think it's really tough i mean it was real i was really surprised he got a zero stage with but right. when you look at the list of sprinters like will mentioned yeah. and then you we didn't even talk you didn't even mention van art he's good for a couple right. stages vanderpool there aren't that many opportunities. There's maybe 10 opportunities. Right. And these other guys, Caleb Ewan, you didn't mention him. Yeah. There's a, you know, those are, you know, the, everyone's got knives out at this point. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the sprinter field of the Giro was not what the tour is. All everybody's here for the tour. All the best riders are here for the tour. And, uh, if you can, I, I shouldn't denigrate it, but if you can only win one stage at the Giro, uh, how does that bode for the tour? We'll find out here soon. Uh, for for Cavendish, so uh, let's talk a little bit more about sprinting. In addition to stage wins, there's the green jersey. The green jersey is unofficially the sprinters' jersey, although it's a little bit more than that. You have to be you have to be up there during mid stage to get some points. It's more about consistency than winning, but winning certainly helps a lot. So, Mitch, uh, who's going to win the green jersey? Last year, it was anybody. I got nothing. Last year was it Van Art? Uh, I thought it was Van Art. Yeah. Was it Van Art? Uh, it was either Van Art or possibly. Uh, I feel like we should consult our. <laughs> no, no, I'm pretty. I'm pretty confident it was Van Art because both uh, that. Yeah, team it, it was. It, it it was indeed. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, I got to go Van Art this year as well. I you know I think he's just uh, he's enough of an all around great rider. He's got the he he's. He's got the potential to win three or four stages. He definitely has the potential to win a lot of intermediate sprints. Um, I think that the guys who compete for the green jersey have all followed Peter Sagan's lead of uh, five or six years ago and figured out just how to pile the points on. And so it's tough to imagine anybody besides Van Art, unless, you know, uh, unless it's, you know, Pogachar for, uh, for, you know, Pogachar wins, um, or Vingago wins a couple of stages in the mountains where the points are doubled or tripled or, or however they figure them out, they could be competitive as well. But I think it's Van Art. I don't think the points are doubled or tripled in the mountain stages, but I'll, I'll throw a wet blanket on your prediction here. Van Art, <laughs> he's got a different problem going on. His wife is expecting there's a chance that he might leave the tour early. Uh, he might not finish the tour because of that. I've heard that. I don't know if, if she goes into labor early or something like that. I, I haven't talked to the doctor in a week, so I'll get back <laughs> on that. Um, going to ask yeah. if you had inside information yeah. there. So that's that's one small wrinkle here uh, with Van Art. Well, I think uh, last year, like I said, Van Art won that green jersey, but the best sprinter, the best sprinter last year uh, was uh, Philipson. Philipson won the most stages last year. Seemed to be the most dominant uh, flat stage sprinter. You know. It, Throwing out those, those intermediate sprints, show who's going to win the most stages. Uh, we'll go with Tom. Tom, who's going to win the most stages on the sprint? I wish I had a better um, 
had researched that. You know, I, I think you could go with Van Art because he can win intermediate stages. Certainly Phillipson, possibly Grona Wagon. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those would be my top three. So besides that, I'm not going to pick. I'll what throw some, other, I'll throw some other names out there that you might have forgotten. Jakobsen. Mm-hmm. Jakobsen from Quick Step would be a good bet. Uh, uh, um, Ewan, now Ewan has been cold. He, he really has hasn't cold. done much here of late. Uh, this, I've heard, uh, the analogy that the sprinter is kind of like the running back in the NFL in as much that they have two or three good years and then they fall off the map. Uh, that's like not the, Cavendish. Yeah, I was going to say that's not true with Cavendish, <laughs> but it seems that oftentimes that new up and coming sprinter that you think is going to dominate for three, four, five years is replaced by some other new and up and coming sprinter. And that seems to be happening more and more here of late back. 10, 12 years ago, it was Sagan, Kittle, Cavendish, Kristoff, uh, and Greipel, you know, like for three, four, five years, all those guys. But lately, there's a new guy every year that seems to be the sprinter. And of late, it's been Philipson. Yeah. What about the guy, the Australian? I guess he's not riding. He uh, won a couple stages in Welsh- the- Welshford. He won a couple stages in the Giro. Australian. And- oh, yeah. He's not, he's not riding. Yeah, he's not riding. Yeah. That is, I like um, him a lot. Caden Groves. Caden Groves. Oh, yeah. Yep. He's coming up. Um, and you got, you know, Mads Pedersen is the kind of rider like Van Aert. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That in these intermediate stages when all the sprinters get dropped, you know, and there's probably five to six of those type of stages. You know, I was going to be stubborn and uh, say, you know, I, I picked Mads Pedersen to win the most sprint stages for the Giro and yep. he had to drop out. Yeah. So I'm I, I'm going to be stubborn. I, wa- I want to say uh, Mads Pedersen is going to win the most sprint mm. stages in the Tour. Yeah, and he, you know, there, there, there's kind of two types of sprinters. Uh, you know, I'll just break it down into two types. There, there's the the classic flat stage sprinter, and then there's what they sometimes refer to as the strong sprinter. Right. And the strong sprinter is the guy that can kind of get over some of the hills. And so, if you've got a bunch of flat stages, one type of sprinter tends to dominate. And then, if you have the other stages, that other type of sprinter isn't even there because he wasn't able to get over the hills. This is the ruler, right? The right. Uh, yep. Right. And the classic example of that is uh, Peter Sagan. And I will be on scene in Slovakia here uh, mm. during the tour uh, this year, uh, Peter Sagan's home. Sagan, uh, he kind of flamed out over the last couple of years. He kind of went from the guy you always talked about to the guy that's retiring early. Uh, I addressed this last year. Uh, Tom, uh, are riders peaking sooner and retiring earlier. Do you see that as a trend? Because all these guys are now good at 20, 21, 22 when they weren't years ago. And so are we going to see more riders like Sagan being done at 33 instead of 36? So I think there's a, a factor is the the money that um, some of the young stars are making. And if success comes early and almost easy, like it did with Sagan, you could see how, if he's not able to win a race, he's kind of ready to move on. You know what I mean? He's right. had his days. He's won the green jersey. How many times? What, three times world champion? Yep. And clearly he doesn't have the form. I think one year he had COVID three times. Yeah. I was just going to say he has not been the same since his three COVID cases, he, right? He's not been the same. I mean, there's something happened during his three COVID positives. But in any case, he's he's riding out the end of his contract. It's right. a, a, a big contract, and I think he won't continue. But to the question, the Tom Pidcocks, the uh, the Remco Evan polls, you know, right. if you don't have the hunger, uh, it's too hard of a sport 
to continue once you've made a lot of money. It's just too hard. Yeah. And I, like I said, I just wonder if, you know, just the burnout factor, you know, do you have 10 or 12 good seasons in your legs? And if you use them up early, maybe you just don't have them when you're 35, like the old guys used to have them. Yeah. I mean, Valverde, you know, you can have, you can have exceptions to the rule, right? but your head has to be in the game. You have to enjoy it. You have to have the, once your head starts to slip and you, Get a little tentative on the descents. You're mm-hmm. going to be. You're going to retire. All right, Will. Uh, Will's got the uh, the the bad task here of talking about the mountains jersey. Any hmm. guesses? Now the mountains jersey oh. is kind of my favorite jersey. It's the coolest jersey. That white with the red polka dots. I own one. It's just a fun jersey. It it looks goofy, uh, but it's the hardest one to predict uh, because because uh, anybody can kind of go for it and. Um, now there are there are point systems that allow some of the higher up GC riders to get in that battle, and they kind of like it. In fact, I think Vinigo won it last year. Uh, he won it right towards the end, uh, and Pogacar won it the year before. So what happens a lot of times is no names tend to lead that competition for the first couple of weeks, and then the the leaders kind of take over that competition. You got any name for me other than Vinegar and? Uh, to win the uh, mountains jersey well yeah i have uh i have a few for you all right so i mean the spontaneous this kind of spontaneous nature of this um this category sure in general you know with the jersey with the uh like riders that get it you know makes it hard but uh three i have my eye on that usually do fairly well in um the mountains competition uh, number one, Nielsen Palace from yep. the U.S. He's, you know, always in breaks. He's always getting those points up in the high mountains. And, um, you know, I, I believe that's, you, you know, sometimes what he goes for. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, uh, Soren Krau Anderson from Alpecin de Kunik. Another good pick. Mm-hmm. And my number three, uh, like you were talking about with uh, some of the, you know, like sevens to like 13s GC picks. Uh, I'm going to go with Roman Bardet for okay. another mountains pick. Uh, you might see him, you know, if GC aspirations are struggling a little bit, he'll be in the breaks later on in uh, Queen of the Mountain stages, and he'll be getting those points. And I think he might have won that uh, that mountain. It's like four years four years ago, I think. We got Jim, our internet guy, Jim. Uh, if if you can look up King of the Mountains jersey, Jim's on his phone. King of the Mountains jersey for the tour. He's our uh, intel. You know? Yeah, he's he's our Jamie as it uh, in the. Uh, in the Rogan world, uh, the guy that pr- brings up stuff here. 2019. He won it in 2019. Okay. 2019. And again, it's sometimes a French writer goes for that to get some, uh, glory on the, on the home soil. Yeah. So, uh, well, we're getting, uh, dangerously close to giving our picks here. I think we kind of <laughs> already half done that. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, we talked about, oh, here's, here's the last idea that I heard somebody say this. I'll throw this to Mitch. You've got the four jerseys. You've got the white jersey, which is the best young rider, which <laughs> uh, Pagacha probably still qualifies for. So yep, yep. Until 2025, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It feels like he's been racing for, you know, seven <laughs> years by now. Yeah. So Pagacha, that's the young guy. That is riders 25 and below. Jim's giving me the thumbs up on that. Vinigo, what? Vinigo won King of the Mountains last year. Yeah, we were talking about Bardet winning 2019, I think Mitch said. Uh, but anyway, um, anyway. <laughs> Did you say QAnon? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you got the four jerseys. You got the green jersey, that sprinter's jersey we talked about. Obviously, the yellow jersey, the one for the overall uh, race lead and the King of Mountains jersey we just talked about. I've heard people propose a fifth jersey, the gray jersey. 
Best rider, 35 and over. Anybody uh, like that idea, Mitch? I, you know, I like that idea. It's, um, you know, maybe it'll keep a, a couple more folks, um, in the race for a little while longer. Um, uh, you know, especially, uh, it could be an intriguing storyline if we get to the point where, because we've gotten, we've gotten to the point right now where, uh, as often as not, the person who wins the overall yellow jersey ends up winning two or three other jerseys as well. And, um, you know, being able to honor the contributions and the competitiveness of an older rider doesn't sound like a bad idea. I think, I think making it the gray jersey would be a little bit insulting, but hey. <laughs> well, how about the salt and pepper jersey? How there about you that? Go, right, exactly. Yeah. You know, I'm interested. Be sponsored by Metamucil or. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to see the battle between Degan Colbin and Castro Viejo on that one. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah exactly. So, uh, Tom, how about it? Uh, Tour of America's Dairyland. How about best older rider? Is that something? Yeah, you know, we, we don't even have a best younger rider, so we have okay. to get that first. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, now it's the time where we're going to make our picks here. I'll remind you again, maybe I said this at the top of the podcast. After we're done here, we're going to pick our own fantasy teams in the Giro this year earlier. Uh, <laughs> Tom, picking from the third slot, our, our ex-pro here, uh, beat us all. Uh, I forget exactly uh, how badly he beat, but he he picked the best rider. So let's go to Tom here. Uh, Tom, give us your po- give us your podium. Give us your podium. I'm going to go with. Um, oh, it's a, such a toss up between us. I'm going to go with Vindigo because I I have to go with who what I've seen and Pogachar and uh, Skelmos. Skirmos, yeah. Skirmos. Skirmos, yeah. Skirmos. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'll, I'll say this, that uh, this year was really looking to be quite a year before Pogacar's crash because both of them were just killing it. Pogacar, before his crash in uh, Liege, best on Liege, was winning everything he was in. And the two of them really didn't come up against each other. So if one wasn't winning one race, he was winning the other one. And so they both just had these golden seasons going. And then Pogacar messes up. Yeah, his. Let me let me say, <laughs> you know, I'd love I'd actually like to see Pogachar win because how good is that to go back and forth? Pogachar, Vindigo, Pogachar, Vindigo, you know, back and forth. If it, if they have two, if we have a two horse race, but we've seen you saw how almost easy it was for uh, po- uh, Vindigo to win. Uh, what was it? Romandy, Dauphiné, Dauphiné, Dauphiné. Um, he was leading out Van Aert. Mm-hmm. He was leading. <laughs> Uh, out, uh, uh, Laporte for stages. Right. And then he was winning at ease. So we know what, where he's at. Right. We just don't know where Pogachar is. Yeah. It might, uh, Pogachar might be the better pick as far as charisma. Uh, Pogachar has got, uh, a real, uh, charismatic, uh, <laughs> style about him. And so yes. he might be a better sell, uh, for the national it'd stage. Be, it'd be good if you want. Um, so who's your, uh, who's your third? Who's your third? You said Skirmos. Uh, Will? Mm-hmm. Uh, who's going to win? Uh, I think. I think uh, Vinigo is going to win. Vinigo. I'd have Pogacar number two. Right. I mean, it's pretty hard to have a podium without those two in top two. Yep. And for the third pick, I'll go with Hindley. Hindley. Yeah, Hindley's showing good form. He is the bookmaker's third place right now. Uh, he showed pretty good form in the Dauphine. I forget what place he came in, but he was looking pretty good. Uh, it was it was Vinegar, Vinigo uh, out in front and then you know, four or five people there, you know, looking for the scraps. And he was one of those. Mitch, who's your, who's your three? 
At the risk of being boring, I will also go with uh, Vingigo uh, on the top step, uh, Pogachar on the second step. And I was wavering. Uh, I was thinking Hindley as well, but just to be different, I'm going to throw a wild card in there and say Guillaume Martin. G-Mart. Yeah. All right. Mitch showing the uh, the, the props uh, that got him fourth place in our last competition. <laughs> going for G-Mart. Uh, <laughs> He he goes for the interesting picks. I got to respect it. Yes, it's very interesting. <laughs> Gmart the the way he could get that third place is deliberately giving up time and then getting that yep. big break and moving him back up. The th- that's what's happened to him many times, where he will move up five spaces one day and down three the next. And, and he is he's always a top ten rider, and um, you know sometimes the number three position is a little bit of a toss up. Emphasis on the number 10 there, top 10, <laughs> not, not three. All right. So I guess I got to give mine. I'll, I'll be the contrarian just because somebody's got to pick Pogachar. I'll pick Pogachar. I'll pick Vinigo. And then my third one, let's see. I'm looking at my list. Uh, I got to be, yeah, I've got to be a, again, a contrarian. Uh, I'm going to go with, um, uh, uh, I'll go with Adam Yates. Two, uh, I'll have two. Uh, UAE riders on the final podium. So uh, well, that wraps up our, our uh, show here today. We're going to see you guys again here in a couple months time for uh, the Welta, which is actually earlier this year. I think uh, uh, I forget, but so the worlds are early yeah, this year. So every four years now, the UCI is having a joint worlds where they have mountain bike track no. road and one other discipline, every discipline except uh, cyclocross. And those are on Glasgow, um, and they cover three weekends, and I believe it starts on August 9th. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I haven't looked at the Vuelta, but it's got to start right after those Worlds. Yeah, let me re- let me rephrase that. Yeah, it's the Worlds that are earlier this Correct. year. Usually it's after the Vuelta. Correct. And that's, uh, that's for another podcast, talking yep. about the UCI calendar, always something that's a little bit interesting as to what would be the most effective uh, calendar for cycling. So anyway, let's uh, let's wrap it up. I want to thank Jim. Jim, you you did yeoman's work here today. Well, you know, I do what I can over here. Uh, I guess. Get, oh, you're going to do your Robin Robin pick after? Yep, we're going to do our fantasy league after we get done here. Uh, so uh, Jim, will you'll hear more from him next week? Yeah. Jim, aren't you going to pick Chris Froome at least once tonight? Well, yeah. I, that was my plan. Yeah, I think I figured he's going to be king of the mountains probably. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's actually you brought that up. We we got to wrap this one up, but that's uh, Israel uh, Premier Tech or whatever the name of their team. They avoided the sunk cost fallacy, right? You you buy a rider for a whole lot of money. You want to put him at the race so you get that uh, publicity, and hopefully he does well. Just accidentally, that's Chris Froome that we're talking about. They sunk a lot of money in him, but they're not putting him in the tour. They're going with a young rider. And so they're they're not going to go with the old guy that's going to finish last. So that's garbage. Yeah, yeah. It's garbage. Broom should be there. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say uh, that Bardet was in fact the king of the monster 2019. This just in. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. in. <laughs> All right. Well, Mitch, uh, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll talk with you again here about uh, our fantasy picks. But thanks for joining us here. Thank you so much for having me, as always. Yep, and uh, my son, Will, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for letting me be here in the other room in our house. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then and then the, the true pro, I want to thank uh, Tom for stopping, Tom Schuler. Great to be here again, guys. All right. All right, we'll wrap it up, and we'll talk to everybody here in a couple months when it comes time for the Welta. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast when we talk with 
former professional cyclist and founder of the largest competitive road cycling series in the United States, the Tour of America's Dairyland, Mr. Tom Schuler. You've made it to the end of another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.